0: Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 154. This is part one of two of the live stream that I recorded on Saturday night with my friend Bill Adams, who is the president of the Chrysler Club. We talked about the early days of Chrysler, Walter P. Chrysler himself, a little SEMA talk, and we ended the show talking about muscle cars at the Strip. The first part of the show was me engaging with the audience until Bill showed up talking about my Roadrunner and my van, but shortly thereafter, Bill showed up and we talked Mopars. So, without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned in to the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. Mopars. <laughs> You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. What's up, everybody? We are live for another exciting episode of Talking Mopars. Um, it's been a while since I went live. I think the last time I went live, I was in the car or something, <laughs> getting ready to go on a trip. but. Uh, I have uh somebody that may be joining us later. Um, I'm waiting to see. He's uh, he was saying like a half an hour or so at nine o'clock. So um I suppose uh we can just hang out for a little bit and just uh shoot the you know what? Um I may post a link in the chat. So if you want to join me on screen and talk for a little bit until my guest shows up, uh that would be cool. Let me uh what's up? What's up, John? What's up, Dutch? Um, yeah, like I said, it's been a while since I've jumped on here. Tall John, the legend himself in the building. Um, it's been a while since I did a live and everybody's, (laughs) everybody's doing lives now. It's fun. It's great. I love seeing so many live streams, um, in the car community. I think it's great. And, uh, they're always a lot of fun and it's like, a like the ecosystem of these live streams is really fun. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's something that I'm really happy to be a part of. And you know, there's, if you have a YouTube channel or a Facebook page, you know, go live, you know, talk to your audience, talk to your people. And, uh, the amount of connections you can get are just amazing. And it's a lot of fun. Plus it's a little bit more personable, you know? Um, I'm glad it's something that I decided to start doing a while back and, uh, you know, seeing how many live streams there are and you know how many familiar faces always show up what's up matt um it just uh it brings a whole different dynamic to social media and getting to know your audience and i think it's a lot of fun um a lot of people have been uh reaching out to me about the show saying they're happy that I've been bringing back the, uh, old format with project car of the week, high performance parts and listener stories and stuff. You know, after a while, the listener stories, they started to die off. I was like, man, people not listening to my show or what? Um, but, uh, I still encourage people to send in their stories. I actually got a, a fun message today. So I guess we'll do a listener story right now. Um, it's a really short one. Um, it was just a fun message, um, from a gentleman named William. He said, uh, Hello there. I recently started listening to your podcast on Spotify and would like to say that I'm a huge fan of it so far. Thank you, William. I'm only five-ish episodes in. Only five in, dude. He just started. This is great. Um, I'm only five-ish episodes in, and I'm hooked as a Mopar fan myself. I have been leaning towards the more forgotten Mopars of the 90s. I currently have a 1991 Daytona with the Shelby trim and Turbo 2.5, but not numbered, as well as a 93 Shadow with an N.A., 2.2, as well as the daily drivers, which are an 07 Dodge caliber and a 2016 Dodge Dart, as well as a 99 Durango. I didn't realize that I was missing this podcast in my life until now. And I just want to say, keep up the great work. That's awesome. You know, I've always wanted talking Mopars to be not just a place for, you know, the muscle car guys, but, um, obviously I'm a big fan of the trucks, so truck guys, and then, you know, huge fan of the front wheel drive turbo Mopars as well. And, uh, any, any Mopar enthusiast, even the modern enthusiasts are welcome on talking Mopars. So I I just got that message. Um, so it was really nice to, uh, see that people are still discovering the show. I've been doing it for several years now and people still reach out to me and say that they just found the show. So that just, it blows my mind. I, you know, I'm really critical on myself because I need to get more of my content on YouTube. Um, but I did an experiment. I did a YouTube experiment And the experiment was to see if just posting the little shorts, YouTube shorts, um, would get me more subscribers. And it skyrocketed my subscriber. I've been trying to get to 1,000 subscribers for a long time. I just hit 500 earlier this year. And, uh, you know, considering the lack of content that I post on my YouTube page, um, I was really surprised to see the subscriber rate jump. I think I'm at like nine fifty five or something like that, which is cool. um but there's something to those short videos um I went to uh recently I went to um wildcat auto wrecking in Oregon, and the same weekend I went to the Brothers Collection Museum and uh I got so much content from both places and it has been really fun sharing it because it was so it was such an epic weekend you know you go to a wrecking yard and who doesn't love a wrecking yard you know what i mean uh, especially mopar only so it's just mopar parts everywhere and i know dustin was mad <laughs> dutch guys garage was mad because i was passing up all the f bodies and stuff i do have uh i i do have some content for uh the f bodies there dustin um but uh it, it was really fun checking out all the old mopars at the wrecking yard and then after seeing a wrecking yard full of Mopars, salvaged Mopars. I go to the brothers collection that has some of the most sought after Mopars on earth. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was a, uh, I was definitely mentally exhausted when that weekend was over, but, um, let's see what's going on in the chat. Sort of stock Mopars. What's up, Jeremy? Um, the road. Run- <laughs> so Jeremy, Jeremy says, what's going on, Chris? How's that beautiful Roadrunner doing? So, I've been putting in parts orders. I don't need that much. As it turns out, the upholstery for it's going to be kind of hard to get. um, But that's okay. I do have the rear seat is still upholstered. It just looks like shit. Um, The front seats were reupholstered at some point with some weird material that uh, they're basically plain Jane um, seat covers, essentially. So they don't have the original pattern or whatever. Um, So that's going to annoy me. But it's got seats. So (laughs) um carpet, uh just little things. Um I did order a interior screw kit, which came and then a under hood hardware kit, which also came just because I have a lot of the hardware for everything. But the problem is I have, you know, boxes and boxes of parts, and I didn't want to waste too much time digging through those boxes and trying to find you know, the bolts that go here and the bolts that go there. So I thought I'd make it easy on myself. And as I go through, I'm going to make sure that, um, I catalog all the bolts and stuff that I find so that I have extras. So I, I, I ordered those two hardware kits just to make my life a little bit easier. Um, cause I have a lot of stuff that just needs to be bolted up. And, uh, I went to my storage unit the other day, got all the parts I needed. The only thing that I don't have at my house right now are the two front seats because they were just going to take up space. Um, so I got, I went out to the, uh, garage today intending to work on the Roadrunner, right? Cause I kind of need to get it ready to go for March and muscle cars at the strip. And, uh, I got out there and I started moving stuff around and my garage is pretty small. You know, it's a three car garage, but I have the car in there lengthwise so that, uh, I can actually get around it and it's still too damn big for the garage. But, uh, I have this giant 36 gallon fuel tank for the van because I'm in the middle of redoing the entire fuel system for it. And, I uh, I looked at, the, I was moving the 36 gallon tank and I was like, why don't I just put this fucking thing in the van just to get it done and out of the way. So I stopped moving it. Um, so I finished plumbing the lines for that, got the tank up and in under the van. And at this point I was like, all right, I guess I'm working on the van today to get a bunch of the parts that I have laying around, just done and on the van and out of the way." Um, so. <laughs> I, uh, I'm notoriously bad about starting certain projects. Like with my blue tin grill, I started rewiring it. And then I stopped in the middle of the project and got distracted with some other stuff. And it just screw, screws me up. Every time I do that, I have this hard time and I'm not going to do it with the roadrunner. That's exactly why I, once I got into the fuel system shit on the van, I was like, all right, the roadrunner is going to have to wait until tomorrow <laughs> because I I always get half ass into something and then I stop. So I was like, let me just finish the fuel system on the van. So this is where things started to go wrong for me. It's a 36 gallon plastic tank. So it's not that it's not that crazy, but the van is outside on the ground and I'm a big guy (laughs) and getting underneath that thing, holding this tank up to try to get the three straps on it were it was a giant pain in the ass. And I didn't want (laughs) to. I was joking with some friends earlier today. Shout out to Paul and Scott. Uh, I was telling them what happened. And uh, Paul was like, why don't you just call me basically? And I was like, well, I know I'm going to be calling some friends for help with the roadrunner. So I didn't want to use up those credits. (laughs) So I'm underneath this van and I'm holding up this 36 gallon tank, trying to get it all screwed in there. And I get two straps on and I go for the third strap, the final strap. And then I realize, fuck this was this strap was supposed to go on first <laughs> and that's when I had all the lines hooked up and shit so I was like ah and I was like you know what screw it I'm just gonna put this one- I'm gonna put it in wrong and I'm just gonna put it in and that way it's up and out of the way and I was like no let's just do it right asshole so <laughs> I took the straps down and it was it was like an hour of me fighting the thing to get it up there and then I finally get it strapped in and I forgot to put the first strap on before the other two so <laughs> got that dropped back down and uh I was fighting it. So to make a long story short, the tank is in, I need to finish plumbing. It got dark here really quick today. And I got a late start. Um, so the tank is in, it's plumbed. Everything around the tank is plumbed. I just need to go, um, and run the line to the front and, um, shout out to Dutch guys for giving me the hint about the vent line off of, uh, so the fuel filter I have has an in, um, to the filter and then an out to the carb. And there's also a vent tube. Um, so I'll be taking that and running that back to the vent line on the van's uh, fuel tank. Um, so the van will be plumbed for fuel. I still have to install the flip top. I got, I got a flip top conversion um, or adapter so that it can have a flip top uh, gas lid. Um, so that'll be fun. But uh, it's just... It's just something I just wanted to get done and out of the way. So tomorrow I just have to run the lines. No problem at all. I'm going to put in a secondary fuel filter. Um, I tried to blow out all the fuel lines and stuff, but something just, I just feel like I'm going to put it all together with the one filter and I'm going to regret it. So I'm going to put in a secondary fuel filter along the frame rail and then one up by the engine. And then hopefully um that first filter will catch any residual shit <laughs> in the back. Um, But, uh, the fuel system will be done. And the roadrunner, the thing I love about this roadrunner compared to my projects in the past is that basically everything's there. And, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, I traded my beloved Mr. Norm's tin grill truck, uh, for this roadrunner. And it's basically an assembly required car, paint and body works done. Engine is rebuilt and in the car. And now all I have to do is, uh, basically put together the interior and, um, get the engine plumbed and all that stuff, all that fun stuff. But um, after looking at all the parts and seeing what I had, it's going to be relatively easy. The hardest thing that I have to deal with is I realized that um, the transmission that's in, it's a four speed, the transmission that's in, it's from a 68 charger. So I need to take the tail housing off and put on um, the correct tail housing. So that, Sounds easy, (laughs) but, uh, I realized how much of a pain in the ass it's going to be with the transmission in the car. So I'm probably just going to pull the four speed out and, uh, I don't think it needs to be rebuilt, but I probably should rebuild it, but I'm not a transmission guy and I'm not going to attempt, especially since I'm kind of on a time crunch, I'm not going to attempt to rebuild this transmission myself. Thankfully, um, I've used a local transmission shop for, uh, when my, uh, my automatic went out in my, uh, turbo diesel truck. And uh, I called them because I, I was looking into passing and uh, brewers and shipping the transmission there and back and then having it rebuilt and all that fun stuff was going to cost me like two or three grand all in new transmission. Um. So I called a local guy that I trust that works on Mopars and stuff. And he told me basically 800 bucks plus the cost of a rebuild kit, which I'm already going to buy. So it's basically $800 in labor and then I'll have a fresh eight thirty three for the car. So I was like, all right, that'll be easy. Then I can just, I don't have to worry about it. Have it built. It's got a warranty, come back, throw it in the car. Um, so cause it, at first I was, I was a little cocky about it. And I was like, I can rebuild this transmission. No problem. So I was doing some research on it cause, uh, my friends over at car tech books actually sent me the book that Jamie Passon wrote about, um, overhauling eight thirty-threes and stuff. So I was looking through it and I was like, it could be done, but I don't want to feel rushed at all because in order to get this car done by March, you know, with all the other stuff I have to do, rebuilding a transmission, I've never done it before, you know, and admittedly I could just see myself fucking up and (laughs) having something catastrophic happen. So I was like, you know, I I'll rebuild an A33 another day. Um, so I'm going to have this one rebuilt for about a thousand bucks. Um, and that'll give me the peace of mind so I can just You know, the tail housing, all that shit's going to be done. All the seals are going to be done. Um, The only thing that would change the price is if any of the gears are bad or anything like that. But I don't think they are. Um, But I do want the bearings changed and all the seals changed. So um, I do have all the linkage, all that shit. I've got the pistol grip. (laughs) Um, So the Roadrunner should be relatively, relatively um, easy to get going. Uh, quick email here. Um, so interior, pretty simple. It's all there. The other hard issue that I have that I'll probably get help with is the windshield, the glass. Um, I would hate to get it all together myself and then drive down the road and hear it whistling. That would piss me off. So I'd probably like to have the windshield done professionally. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would be like, oh, just fucking <laughs> just do it. But uh I, I think the Roadrunner actually I know the Roadrunner will be in Vegas. I promise you that. Um if I if I fail getting the Roadrunner to Vegas, then I'll be a complete failure. <laughs> but uh it, it I, I don't want to jinx myself, but Murphy's Law. <laughs> um tends to bite me, but I don't think this car is, it was, everything is legit on it. You know, it's not like I bought it from a stranger. I know the guy I got it from. I have all the receipts for the engine. Everything checks out. Um, I fully expect this thing to be running very, very soon. Um, I'm waiting. I just put in an order with Mancini racing for the electronics that I need. Uh, I was looking at the bulkhead connector. And it looks like a couple of the pins are a little burned. So I'm a little concerned with that. I need to figure out which terminals are burned so I can figure out, you know, what happened there. Um, but hopefully not that big of a deal. I do have the original wiring. So I'm going to look at the wiring. Um, that was what I was going to do today was pull all the parts down. And cause I, I have a list and maybe, um, when I have it next to me, uh, I'll show you guys, but, uh, just because I'm horrible about blindly tackling a project, and i I wanted to make sure this was done in an organized fashion. Uh, I looked at the car and wrote down everything I think I, I I thought I needed to do, and then my friend Tad, you guys all know tad, um, he had a list of uh, an assembly guide. That he used for his Super B. so I reached out to him and I said, "Hey man, you got that list?" And he ended up finding it, sent it to me, and I looked at it, and I was pretty close, but there was a couple little things that I missed. Um, but it's a full assembly from bare shell all the way down, and uh, there was a couple things that were out of order. But basically, I'm going to try going from the front of the car back. The the first thing, first things first, get the engine done and fire this car off. I need to know that it runs. Um, the suspension needs to be rebuilt in the front. Uh, rear is good. It's got new leaf springs. Um, I just need to throw in the new air shocks. This is going to be a street machine. You know what I mean? This ain't going to be a race car or anything like that. Uh, so that's, that's the plan for that. Um, the car will, I'm super confident in the car running and driving in Vegas. Um, (laughs) the big to be honest if, in full transparency the biggest issue i'm having right now is financially because somehow facebook fucked up my taxes and i blame them but it's only because apparently when i got monetized on instagram i sent them all the tax information and it doesn't coincide with the shit i sent for facebook's monetization which doesn't make sense to me because i have all the it's all the original information so i don't know if i used the wrong ein um because my company is an LLC, but I'm taxed as a single member LLC. So uh, essentially all my business money funnels through my um, personal taxes and something in the paperwork got fucked up. So I've made about $5,000 in the past, we'll say six months. I haven't gotten a payout from Facebook since August. and. I really need that $5,000 because it's funding the, um, the fuel to get to Vegas and it's going to buy a couple of the little things that I need. Um, cause one thing I do want to, I was hoping to have the car done in time. I I'd like to have it ready in February because I want to send it to have it. Um, I want to have a single stage paint correction done on it just because the paint's really nice, but it does have some light swirls. I don't know if that was from the car cover I threw on it, even though I thought I I bought a really nice car cover. And when I pulled it off, I was like, are those swirl marks? Did I fucking do that? Um, so I'm just going to make sure that the paint's perfect. And then I'm going to have it ceramic coated. Um, there's a place locally that does like Lamborghinis and shit, but that's like 1800 bucks, but it adds a layer of protection to the paint and makes it easier to clean and shit. So I'm going to do that if I can get this payout. So I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with Facebook, but their payout system, if you need support, it sucks. (laughs) I've gone back and forth with them at least 28 times and I can't get a straight answer. They keep just sending me um, like a canned response. Like, oh, go to the Pay Hub Center and get support. I'm like, that's what I just did to reach out to you guys. So I have a bunch of money just waiting there. Once I get that, shit cleared up and I get the money, then we're off to the races. Um, so we'll see what happens there. What's going on in the chat. Other Johnny Mopar, Johnny Mopar with an H is in the house. What's up, Lance. What's up? He just came over from the talk. I just got done doing talking paranormal where we were talking about the Philadelphia experiment. That was fun. Um,
1: Mo party. Yep. We were at Mo party.
0: That's for sure lance says uh you may not know from the other podcast but i have a single turbo i have a single turbo 500 cube wedge 68 satellite and used to have a turbo 265 hemi 3 on the tree 71 dodge utility that's awesome dude yeah hell yeah alex was just at wildcat 45 minutes from wildcat damn i might have to send you there (laughs) send you there uh yeah they got a lot of cool stuff there man um, fun to just go and they're super cool about just letting you hang out and walk through the yard and stuff. Um,
1: Stefan, what's up
0: Dutch guys. It's all right. Gave me an idea for when I go to the massive old yard again, I'm going to skip the muscle and just do the phase. You probably should. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I, I kind of knew as I was going through that yard, every time I saw an F body, I can't, every time I see an F body, I can't help but think of my friend, Dustin from Dutch guys garage, go help the guy out too. He's struggling on YouTube. He cannot get to a thousand subscribers. <laughs> we need to get that guy monetized. Zane says, hi from New Zealand. Was at Mopar car show today? Would like to post you some footage. I was surprised to see a 300 H there. Uh, Today, very rare model, 1970s. You know, I had a, uh, (laughs) locally, there's a guy who I know that has a 300H convertible. And uh, it's the Hurst 300. Apparently, that car isn't supposed to exist, but it does. I've seen it. There's documentation on it and everything. Um, And somebody that's pretty well known in the automotive community basically called me a liar and said it doesn't exist. And I was like, that's not true at all. (laughs) It is a very real car. Um, Coffee says, um, you're running out of time on the roadrunner. Yep. Go ahead and uh, think that, buddy. (laughs) It's actually, we've got plenty for my car. I've got plenty of time. I know you got plenty of time. It's the guys like Jeremy, um, from shade tree that he's got a bunch of irons in the fire and he's so for those of you that don't know, there's a little challenge. Going on called Project Cars at the Strip. This year in March, March 17th through the 19th at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, um, there's an event called Muscle Cars at the Strip and really fun drag racing, autocross, car show, swap meet, all that fun stuff. Um, at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, if you've never been, is an amazing facility. Okay. Um, but this year, Mike coffee reached out to me, asked me if the Roadrunner was going to be done in time. At the time, I wasn't really sure what I was. You know, I didn't have a plan at the time, Um, but he basically called me out to this challenge. And then a bunch of our friends got involved. And because I know Phil Painter from Muscle Cars of the Strip, I reached out to him and. uh, We basically came up with Project Cars of the Strip, so it's going to be a little sideshow exhibition of the car show where a bunch of project cars show up. And I had an idea for the award. And it's badass, I got to say. And I thought it was very unique. And I don't, and I thought it had never been done in the automotive um, scene at automotive events. But apparently it has. So that sucks because I thought I was on to something really cool. But And I, and I think it's still going to be cool. And I'm still going to push to have it done. But I don't want to reveal it just yet until I know for a fact it's going to be done. But the award, if everything goes as I plan, um, is going to be pretty badass. Cooler than a trophy, I'll say that. In my opinion. In my opinion. Um, but, uh, the idea is if you have a project car, um, and you want a little motivation, we're challenging you to get your car running and driving and bring it to Las Vegas for project cars of the strip. And, uh, if you want to race it, if you can pass tech, you're allowed to race. Um, that's not an issue. You want to auto cross it. You can auto cross it. Um, you want to put a for sale sign in it. You can put a for sale sign in it. Um, just get it to the car show you do have to register for muscle cars at the strip. So go to www.mattslv.com um, to register. And uh, it's, it's going to be a fun time. And the plan is to organize a cruise down the actual strip Las Vegas Boulevard um, one day after the show, or maybe both days. I don't know. Cause it's Friday, Saturday. Um, and I think there's going to be some action on Sunday. Um, I'll probably be rolling out on Sunday just because I got to. I got to drive home and be at work. <laughs> uh, and it's like a 20 hour drive or something like that. 16 to 20 hours. But, um, that's what project cars at the strip is all about. And if you want to join in the challenge, post a picture of your project on social media and just tag me and, uh, muscle cars at the strip, which is, uh, their tag is at M a T S L V. Um, and then obviously hashtag project cars at the strip. Um, I'm going to get together, uh, our current participants and do a little video. So that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> Greg Fisher, buddy of mine asked plan to get the van or the roadrunner drivable first. The van is drivable as soon as it's running. So uh, the van's not really an issue. I don't really care about the van as much. I just had a bunch of parts laying in the way and I didn't want to leave, <laughs> especially since winter's coming. And I opened the van and I, I put the new roof vent in and it does not leak water, but the van is still getting a lot of condensation in it, which is concerning to me. Um, so I'm going to have to, I, I don't want to just let the van continue rotting. So I have to do a couple of things on that, but the way I figure it, and if I could show you guys the schedule of how I have everything planned out, it should work out where the van is running and driving by the end of this year. Um, safely is debatable, (laughs) but, uh, if the van is running and I can, cause I need to bring my car trailer home and the idea is to drive the van up onto the car trailer. That way, if the HOA decides to get picky, I can just move the van (laughs) like two slots over. But, um, the roadrunner will run and drive Buy muscle cars at the strip. If I fail at that, I'll sell the fucking thing. <laughs> you know, I'll sell the van too. I'll sell everything. I'll stop the podcast. <laughs> uh, I need to get one of these projects done. Um, you know, I get it. I was just talking about, it, I think on the last podcast where I was like, man, I get it. Like nobody has faith in me at all. I wouldn't have faith in me either. <laughs> you know? So the roadrunner is kind of like a must, a must do. <laughs> Dean, what's up, buddy? Is everybody doing a, uh, a live right now? Mike says it's easy. Are you talking about swapping the... So correct me if I'm wrong, but on the 833 to swap um, tail housings, the whole assembly comes out, and you just have to pop it out. And that was, I'm just going through a quick explanation. Take the housing, get the other one, pop it in. It's all good. Um, the issue I had was if I put it all together and the bearings go out in a couple months then, or after I get the car running and driving, that would really piss me off. So I thought, um, rebuilding, it would be the best, you know, if I, if I get this money <laughs> rebuilding, it would be, uh, the best move, um, um, and I really cuz I don't really want to tear it apart again after I get it into the car. I would rather just have it all built so that I can enjoy it all summer long. So that was the idea. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. Um I was really surprised. I did look on YouTube to see if there was a, a video of just swapping the housings and maybe you're right, Mike. Maybe it's so easy nobody's made a video on it. Um so I guess I could I guess I could do that. Um I don't know I, I don't believe it's easy to do while the eight thirty three is still in the car. I've never done it, so I don't I don't know. Um I know the fucking things are heavy as shit because <laughs> they're cast iron. Um but uh we'll see. <laughs> Mike says run that shit. Agent forty three D. Don't get it right, just get it running. <laughs> yeah, but see the problem problem with that, Mike is If I can afford to have the transmission rebuilt while it's out, why not just have it done? The week it's a week turnaround time at the transmission shop, so it would be perfect. And then peace of mind, done, don't have to worry about it. Alex says the 833 was an easy rebuild, didn't mind, just need a dummy shaft. Interesting. Alex, reach out to me in a PM. I, I got a couple of questions. <laughs> Jeremy says, uh, sounds like you got a good amount of work before Matt's looking forward to that fire fire video. <laughs> oh, that, that first fire video. I was like fire fire video. <laughs> I was like, is he taking a shot at me? Cause I'm working on a fuel system on this shitty van. <laughs> um, there will definitely be videos. Uh, I started recording one today. See, this is another issue I'm dealing with. I got to figure out how I'm gonna um, tackle this. So, my daughter likes to hang out with me in the garage. Okay, now I'm paranoid because this car is very nice, and I've explained to her. I've gotten down on her level, looked her in the eye, and said, "Sweetie, don't touch the Roadrunner unless Daddy is right there and he's telling you to." But uh, so she's hanging out with me, and it's like every two minutes (laughs) she needs something or she wants me to watch her ride her bike, (laughs) you know, she's three. So I, I get her attention span deal, but it's like, you know, I had to tell my wife, look, it is very hard to get anything done when she's right there. And I'm worried every second, I don't have an eye on her that I'm going to turn and she's going to have a screwdriver just pounding the car. (laughs) Like, but I, I want her to be involved, but there, you know, right now she's too young to understand anything. So it's like, you know, just watch daddy, but it's like, you know, she's three. So her attention span just isn't there, but she, she absolutely wants to hang out in the garage and I don't want to deny her that. So I'm trying to figure out how I can keep her out there and keep her safe while also keeping the car safe. <laughs> it's kind of hard, but um, we'll figure it out. Mike, uh, send me an offer, dude. <laughs> I'll sell that thing before Vegas <laughs> if somebody gave me the right offer cuz I'm not going to tell you what I want for the car. <laughs> I'm curious to see what people would pay. Um but I would not give it away. I know what the car's worth. Uh well, let me let me put it this way. I know what I would pay for the car and I know what I gave up for the car. So if somebody gave me the right amount of cash, <laughs> like offered me the right amount of cash or, or the right trade, um obviously In my opinion, I traded up from the Mr. Norm truck as much as I love that truck. um, I'd be a liar if I said that there wasn't another tin grill in the works. Uh, There's a little deal that I'm working on, but I I had to put that aside because I got other shit I need to worry about right now. Um, But uh, the Mr. Norm truck isn't the last tin grill I'm going to own. I'll tell you that. Um, I need to send an email real quick to my guest. I got a little carried away there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a buddy of mine that has a tin grill that I want, I reached out to him and, uh, was asking him about it and he still has it and he's still willing to sell it to me. Uh, <laughs> I offered him <laughs> 500 bucks and I, I said, how much did you want for that thing again? Was it 500 or 900? I don't remember. <laughs> and, uh, he thought that was pretty funny. Um, but it, it's, a short bed, two wheel drive, black, um, three pedal truck, uh, needs a little bit of rust repair, but you know me, I like ratty shit, so it'll
1: work out. Oh.
0: And, uh, so I, I told him, look, I would love to take the thing right now, but, uh, for one, I'm waiting on a check <laughs> two um, I, I can't take on another project right now. In fact, I'd be a liar if I said that I wasn't about ready to sell this van. But I still have the goal of turning that into the van cave and the mobile podcast studio, so I can't sell it. Um, and it was only because I didn't want—I didn't want a, a distraction um, from the roadrunner. But I, I know that selling the van, I would regret that worst case scenario. I just, now that the tank is in the van and everything's going to be set up with the fuel system, I can just let that thing sit for the rest of the winter. I'm not too worried about it. It's a bare shell on the inside. So it's not like it's going to mold out or anything. I'll just get the moisture out of there. Um, every chance I get, but the roadrunner, like I said, I was looking at it and I was like, okay, this isn't that bad. You know, the list I've, there's less than a hundred things I need to do. And that's all basically Lego type shit, bolted up, you know i'm sure there's going to be some you know shit along the way but i know the car's going to run i know the car's going to drive there's a couple sketchy things on the front suspension that i don't like so i'm just going to get that together this fucking guy <laughs> mike um johnny mopars in the house the other johnny mopar no h johnny mopars in the house um Dutch guys. Nah, I think you need to stay racing, dude. Screw YouTube. <laughs> What's up, Mike? Hell of a painter
1: right out of Dallas, Texas. Skidmark says it's a 25-hour uh 25-hour drive to Vegas.
0: What's up from Minnesota? Braden from six, six salvage. What's up, dude. How's it going, man? Um, so yeah, uh, my friend, Bill Adams is probably going to be joining us here shortly. Let me see. Um, Bill reached out to me actually recently and, uh, <laughs> he called me out for not having a podcast recently. And I've just been super busy with work, my kid, and then the windstorm we had that blew over my fence. I had <laughs> just a nightmare of shit. Um, but he asked, uh, if I wanted to talk about old school Mopar stuff, like early day Mopar stuff. And I said, sure. Cause I don't know very much about it. Um, and, uh, he's president of the national Chrysler club, so it'll be fun. I know he went to SEMA too. I'd like to talk about SEMA a little bit. Cause I didn't go this year. And then, um, he's uh also involved with muscle cars at the strip so i'd like to talk to him about that so he should be joining us soon and once i'm done chatting with him i'll open the chat up and if anybody wants to join me um or us depending on if bill wants to stick around or not um that'll be fun um but uh <laughs> a couple people have reached out to me and given me some shit about The roadrunner and kind of calling me out, kind of like Mike is, (laughs) just ribbing me a little bit about you're never going to finish it, all this shit. I love that energy. (laughs) Uh, Because I know I can. If I fail, it's going to be because I failed at doing something easy. um, Because all the hard shit on the car is done. Like I said, I have, where is it? I have a, giant booklet, um, or, a uh, manila folder of all the receipts for this car and what has been done. And the engine is the least of my worries. The car's going to run. <laughs> I got no problem with that. Um, so Joe's Mopar mess is in the house. Chris, have you seen Ruben's video today? <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, I love, so Ruben from muscle city madness did a video um, from the battle in Barona or battle of Barona is it battle in Barona battle of Barona battle at Barona. Anyways, it's at the Bermuda drag strip, the Barona drag strip, Uh, Johnny Mopar, Jeremy from sort of stock Mopar's Ruben, the garage in this zone and Joe's Mopar mess. And, um, who else was down there? Uh, a bunch of people were down there and, um, I know someone else was down there. I forget who. Uh, damn it. Anyways, um, Joe's Mopar messes in Ruben's video, and he's wearing an orange hoodie, and it says no Mopar left behind. That's my hoodie, dude. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate the support, buddy. And uh, <laughs> Ruben was talking about how uh, he mentioned that uh, I don't even have to be there because somebody I know is representing uh, down there at the track. And he was joking about going to duct tape and everybody going, Oh, Hey, are you Chris from talking mobars? Uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Bill is in the house. Um, let's get him on there. So yes, Joe, I did see Ruben's video. I was laughing. That video was hilarious. I love that video. Um, I had to show my wife the end part. where He's talking about, Oh, you're Chris from talking mobars. Yeah, That's funny. Let's see if Bill, I don't see his screen up. Let me see if he pops up. There he is.
1: Bill, can you hear me?
0: I don't know if it's, my, I was having connection issues earlier, so I don't know if it's me or Bill. Um, if you see my, uh, we're going to get a little bit messed up in the chat, please. Bill. Chris. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, perfect. What's up, buddy?
2: What? Are you?
0: Good, good, man. Where you where are you at right now? Your screen's black. I can't see you.
2: Uh, in my shop.
0: Okay. Let's see here. Um, are you on your phone on the computer? iPad. Oh, okay. Um, well, you're blacked right. out, but that that's okay. We can hear you.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better anyway.
0: Uh, what's happening?
2: Not much. I have a face for radio.
0: <laughs> I've been told the same thing, so don't <laughs> don't worry about. It. Um,
2: Should I uh? Is there a way to turn on the cam?
0: Uh, if you go down, I believe on your end, you can go to. Do you have settings? Can you see settings?
2: Uh, no.
0: Okay. There should be a way, maybe clicking on the three dots on your name or by your name, and uh, there will be. Um, there should be a way to enable your camera.
2: Settings, okay.
0: So, and there should be a little section that says camera. Got it. Okay, and then you should be able to use the camera on your iPad. You might have to cycle through a couple of them to see which one's working. so cycle through into you see uh if any of them work if not we can we don't have to see your face <laughs> it's a little weird talking to a black screen but that's all right <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: Yeah. It doesn't seem to work
0: work. Hmm. All right. That's okay. Bill, you reached out to me because you are, you've been a guest on the show before. So I guess, uh, for those of yeah. you that don't know, Bill, Bill, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody who you are, how long you've been into Mopars and, uh, tell, tell us all what's in your collection. Cause you've got a pretty awesome collection of Mopars. Um,
2: well, uh, Uh, let's start off when I first, I first heard about you a couple of years ago. Um, uh, there's a, there's a big contingent of, uh, Mopar faithful around the uh, Central Valley, California area. Yeah. Um, Mike, uh, my buddy, Mike, um, he just moved to North Carolina. He sent a lot of stuff into you. Um.
0: like listener stories
2: yeah listener stories okay Um, uh anyway um so i i binged a bunch of your early episodes and thought this was pretty cool and then um i think i reached out to you a couple times just said hey like what you're doing keep it up yeah um and then um I, now, I've been helping uh, Phil with uh, uh, formerly Mopar's at the Strip, now muscle cars at the Strip, since its inception, my family has, since uh, it started in 02 I think. And so, uh, I think we reached out to you, didn't I? To say, hey, you want to the, come to the event? Yeah. And you said, yeah, that sounds great. Um, didn't sound like it took much of an excuse to get you to Vegas.
0: <laughs> no, it never does. <laughs>
2: So, um, and of course I've always, uh, you know, everything, uh, uh, I've just been a Chrysler uh, fanatic from, the, uh, uh, from birth. Um, uh, seriously, um, my father was one of the founding members of the, the uh, WPC or the Chrysler Club back in the late 60s. Uh, I was, uh, uh, came off the assembly line in 1970 and uh, was brought home from the hospital in my father's uh, 39 uh, Chrysler Royal Windsor Hayes Coupe, <laughs> which, have, which is a very rare semi-custom coupe that was built in uh, 39, of course. Um, uh, it's, uh, anyway, so I came home right from the hospital in that and uh, just grew up going to wrecking yards and uh, doing car stuff. Those were the best, uh, you know. You know, in, in, in California, contrary to popular belief, wasn't always nuts. <laughs> um, it uh, uh, and it was a great place to uh, to, to go on car tours, uh, car events, and it was always Chrysler and always Mopar all the time. Now, I'm not just a Mopar guy because that's what I grew up doing. Although that's that's true,
3: yeah.
2: There are there are valid reasons why um, we like uh, Mopar Chrysler. Chrysler was always the engineering company. Um, And in fact, most, if you listen to any of the the enthusiasts that have uh, big collections, uh, like Jay Leno, they talk about Chrysler is always the company that brings a lot of engineering firsts and uh, uh, fantastic things to the table. One of the things that I've always liked about uh, uh, Chrysler Mopar is they've always because they haven't always been the the largest on the block they've always got to prove themselves so they're always pushing the envelope um so in, the, in everything they've done right from the right from their onset in 1924 um in in various times during their over their history the airflow the Chrysler 300 the you know the uh, the, the HEMI uh, the the wing cars, um, you know the Viper, the Hellcat, they've somehow managed to stay at the forefront of of innovation and engineering by pushing the envelope. And if 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 Chrysler had a fault, uh, comparing it to other early um, uh, early car companies, there was not a I didn't see that there was a prevailing mantra or a a corporate culture that that was really left by walter P. chrysler um but in my opinion the prevailing uh uh, what they've always brought to the table and somehow they've been able to do it is is pushing the envelope yeah so um uh, but anyway uh, that's a hell of a run-on sentence
0: no man that's fine um one thing i've always said about uh I I totally agree with you. Um, It seems like a lot of the people that I know that are hardcore racers and have really delved into the technical aspects of Mopars. uh, The engineering aspect is definitely brought up quite a bit um, and the lengths they've gone um, to have good stuff, especially with like in the early days um so much technology <laughs> I, th- I think what was the car with the first computer
2: car with the first computer
0: oh. yeah i thought i thought that chrysler had one of the first cars with a computer in it well it be... in,
2: in the 70s of course chrysler experimented with uh, uh fuel injection in 58 which was
0: that's uh, right this fuel brought, injection in 58
2: brought with disaster <laughs> Chrysler's, uh, so the difference, some successful fuel injection, and Chrysler experimented with mechanical fuel injection, um, but the Chrysler system ultimately was sold to Bosch, of uh, German engineering fame, and went on to become uh, the Bosch, the famous Bosch mechanical fuel injection system that Mercedes used for so many years successfully. So, although the initial... Uh, trials in in fifty seven and fifty eight with Chrysler were uh, proved disastrous. They all got recalled. All the all the fifty eight fuel injection cars. Um, the ultimately the system was it, again it was it was Chrysler's engineering that that put that together, um, and Chrysler had a lot of engineering firsts. Um, yeah. Um, so to finish what you who I am, I don't. Um, uh, so I am now the current. Uh, president of the the, uh, the WPC club, the Chrysler club, uh, which we we like to say is the world's largest Mopar club, although I'm not sure if that's true anymore. Huh.
0: It's Mopar worldwide, club. right? It's not just because I, call, I called it the National Chrysler club, but I'm pretty sure it's worldwide.
2: Yes, it is. We have, uh, okay. we have regions in, um, in, uh, in Europe, in okay. Australia. Um, we've got just over 3,000 members. Oh, wow. And um, at one point in time, we were at five thousand members. Um, okay. Although, um, and I'm trying to uh, help bring it back. Um, there was a period of time. Clubs go through a lot of uh, ups and downs. Um, and as much as I uh, dislike the uh, the, the ego driven uh, politics that are that are seem to be. Uh, in, in, in a lot of clubs, I don't see any other mechanism or any other entity out there that's poised to preserve the history. Yeah, so that's, why, that's why I stay involved and in, in passionately in clubs. Even though, again, the the the, uh, the pomp and circumstance, Robert Rules of Order, you know, the board of directors, all that stuff seems a little overbearing. Sure. But if you want to do things officially and preserve things officially you have to have a structure set up so um uh anyway on to chrysler engineering so the old joke in chrysler engineering in chrysler was that chrysler had as comparing chrysler to gm that chrysler had as many people in engineering as gm did in styling and vice versa <laughs> um so they were you know the the uh, when Walter Chrysler created or opened you know turned Maxwell into Chrysler Corporation in 1925 uh, um, he had what he called the three musketeers Zeter, Skeltman, breer three engineers that came with him that had been following him for a couple of years and they were active in Chrysler engineering up through the 60s and that was the that was the secret sauce in my opinion okay um, uh, not only that but chrysler himself was a um he was a railroad man um he actually ran buick from 1916 to 1920 i think
0: oh wow i didn't know that
2: yep uh he famously walked into william durant's office who ran the gm and said you're gonna pay me a million dollars a year or i'm walking out the door
0: <laughs> i like the gusto
2: <laughs> exactly it's 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 much akin to today's ego-driven uh, CEO, that the, uh, <laughs> the the CEOs of of the industrial age were larger than life. I mean, they these yeah. guys, were, uh, you know, certainly a pioneer, or captains of industry. So he walked into William Billy Durant's office and said, "You're going to pay me a million dollars a year." And Billy Durant said, "Get the hell out of here, Chrysler! You'll never have another job in this industry." <laughs> So um, anyway, so since um, since the onset, uh, he was always very attuned to the engineering um, and uh, uh, you know, setting up the he was the guy that the bankers used to send in to rescue companies.
0: OK. When did when did Chrysler get into racing?
2: Uh, Chrysler got it well. So the first Chrysler, um, there are a few different models, but the first in 1924 Chrysler was a model of Maxwell, and then in 1925 when Chrysler Corporation uh, came around, uh, Maxwell was a model of Chrysler. But the first Chrysler was called a B70, uh, and it stood for the first models were had, you know, a, a number uh, assigned to them. Like it was a B70. Was a 70 mile an hour car. It okay. Was the first production car with hydraulic brakes. So, and some of my classic car friends tried to tell me, no, Duesenberg had hydraulic brakes before that. Yes, but Duesenberg wasn't exactly a car that uh, normal people could afford. <laughs> so, Duesenberg would be like comparing a, you know, like a. a, a yeah, you go to a, a uh
3: <laughs> Yeah.
2: So um so the, the anyway, Chrysler Racing got started almost immediately because the racers thought, you know, holy cow, here we go with a car that'll do 70 miles an hour off the showroom floor and it has uh hydraulic brakes. So and and so they they they, they started racing almost immediately, but um in uh, uh, in 1925, uh, I believe in 26, 27, and 28, Chrysler actually raced at um, Le Mans. So, uh, uh, and they in 1928 they finished uh, second and third behind a Bentley.
0: Oh wow! So they they were pretty successful. <laughs>
2: Extremely successful. And I don't think that they has been matched by any other American manufacturer. Wow. Since uh, uh, till just recently. So, in fact, Luis Chevrolet, uh, Chevrolet's namesake, um, uh, who sold his part in the company, uh, raced a Chrysler or paced the Chrysler, the Indy 500, in a Chrysler Model L80, which was the <laughs> first Imperial. In 20, 1926. and then of course the airflow um, won all the land speed. Uh, uh, you know, it was the first car designed in a wind tunnel. They actually commissioned, uh, I think it was Orville Wright, to help them uh, construct a wind tunnel to test the car. Wow. Of, of uh, Wilbur Wright, you know the the Wright brothers. Uh, okay. Invaded the airplane.
0: So. Yeah, Chrysler has a very storied history, and admittedly, I don't know much pre-Max Wedge era. I don't even know that much about the early 60s um Mopar, but so, so it's, it's always interesting to delve into that stuff.
2: Well, some of the neatest history, of course, is the Chrysler 300. Of course, that came out in 1955. Yeah. So the 300... Uh, it was called the Chrysler 300 because it had basically one horsepower per cubic inch, which was a feat again not accomplished until then.
0: Yeah, first muscle car. Uh, it, it's argued that it's the first muscle car, right? The 300.
2: I think it's the first muscle car because it yeah. was a, it was a um, the first car that was purposely built for uh, essentially racing. Yeah, um, and it dominated NASCAR in '55 and '56. Dominated. There's a guy named Carl Kiekhaefer uh of mercury outwards fame up in wisconsin area um that uh that had two professional teams um and he really uh, pioneered the professional nascar teams that you see today he did with chryslers in 55 56 and then he dominated so bad he got out of nascar racing because there was he'd he um he'd accomplished everything he wanted to <laughs> his autobiography he was an engineering guy in his autobiography called the uh, iron fist uh, tells you a lot about his management style uh, <laughs> uh, if his executives showed up without a Chrysler product they were fired <laughs> so um, uh, the 300 came out initially with uh, of course the 331 Hemi two four barrels and um, Solid lifters, um, a, you know, yeah, two four barrels in 1955. Wow. Now, I think, uh, I think Chevy Corvette started experimenting with stuff. It was the first Corvette 1953,
0: wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. 53 yeah. or 54. I think it was 53.
2: Well, they were all kind of dabbling with it, but Chrysler really, um, with the 300s, um, and then of course in 56 you started having the DeSoto Adventures, the uh the Plymouth Furies, um, you started getting a lot of performance cars. And then of course by the time um, 1960 came around, you had uh of course 59 they went to the wedge from the Hemi, the first generation Hemi to the wedge engine. Um uh and then in '60 60 and '61 um, the max, the first Max Wedge was in '62, I believe. The 413 Max Wedge.
0: That sounds right, yeah.
2: Uh, I think it was in '62. So by that time, they were starting to make a big scratch in drag racing. Um, so the there was Pontiac, I think the '61 Pontiac, and the Max Wedge Mopars were the only factory cars that were dominating at the drag strip. So there you. But then the uh, the 409 Chevys uh started coming in but by the time you know then the max wedge mopars just dominated (laughs) until of course 1965 when the street hemi hit the uh hit the ground running and uh, of course it came out in 64 i believe as a race motor and then in 65 and 66 you could have got it in 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 starting in cars
0: Yeah, that's one thing I've always appreciated about Chrysler is their uh, their racing campaigns. It seems like they were always like at the top of the heap.
2: Well, the uh the early 300s, I'm surely you've seen the long ram cars, I'm not talking the cross ram. The cross rams where the carburetors sit diagonally on top mm-hmm. of, the, of the intake manifold. Now the long rams came out in 1960. Um, uh came out on cars in 1960 in the 300F and then, of course, the Plymouth had what they called the Sonoramic, um, where the long-ram uh, 383s. Then you had a Dodge, that had a D500 with a, a long-ram. They had them on, a, uh, I think, 361s.
0: Uh, oh, yeah, on the industrials.
2: Uh, no, the 361 was a big-block Mopar. Um, uh, up It was a, a, a B-block from 59 to... Uh, I think um, about sixty-five. That's
0: right.
3: That's
2: right. Would have got the three sixty-one, say, in your Chrysler Windsor or your your uh, okay. Newport, in your Newport. Uh, it was like the, uh, the 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 starting, the predecessor of the three eighty-three. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, but the three hundreds had the long Rams, where the carburetors sit way out over the valve covers. Okay. Yeah. You've seen those, right? yeah so that came out in the 60 to 60 uh 60 and 61 62 the 300h had inline cut fours again that's right Sixty three and 64 they had they were long rams but they were they called them the short rams because they were a little bit shorter they were tuned differently and now the 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 exhaust manifolds on those you've seen max wedge exhaust manifolds how they come way up and they're pretty bad yeah. looking yeah and they, they come up top and then they sweep down well, in, in the, the, the letter cars, the Ram letter cars in 63 and 64, you had uh, the cast iron. They literally looked like headers so that, that went down and then they had heat rises that had to come up under the, the Ram underneath the carburetors to warm the carburetors up and up so it wasn't so damn cold blooded. <laughs> um, um, but you had these, these Ram cars that came out in 60 through 64 that were just badass. Um, And uh, uh, my father says still to this day, he had a ride in a 64, 300 K convertible with a short Ram. And he said when he kicked down on the freeway, it was unbelievable. They weren't weren't really off the line cars. They weren't tuned for that. They were tuned for more highway driving. Um, But the, uh, the, 300s were called the bankers' hot rods because they all, they all had <laughs> leather interior, power windows, power seats. Um, a lot of them had air conditioning, but they had this badass power plant in them um, that, uh, again, it was enabled uh, it enabled them to dominate NASCAR, starting in NASCAR, and then they they won the like the flying mile competition at Daytona Beach, which used to be the the speed test that everybody you know uh, uh sought uh, uh in uh, up through sixty three i think so they they were dominating in racing through you know until nascar started sanctioning really they dominated racing
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh and uh, NASCAR seems to be a very controversial subject when brought up with mopar guys
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that would be a fascinating story to vet. because um, I think um you know Lee Petty won the first um he, he won the first Daytona five hundred, which was on the sand. Mm-hmm. Uh and he drove Hemi Dodges back in the fifties. Um and of course back in the, the early Hemi, Dodge, DeSoto and Chrysler all had different Hemis. Yeah. Um and Lee Petty that and then by the time the um you know Richard of course Richard Petty won the uh uh the Daytona 500 in 64 and 65 I think with a with the hemi car um but I I believe um and I'm not real good on on NASCAR history but the the Chrysler the Petties and Chrysler was always just always pushing the envelope and I think that pissed the France family off <laughs> so since then for whatever reason, there's just always been a rift with NASCAR to the point where it was it in 65, Richard Petty actually stopped, uh, boycotted NASCAR and went drag racing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: The, the 65 Barracuda that Richard Petty drag raced. <laughs> so,
0: I, uh, I, when did I, it wasn't, I didn't learn about his drag racing stuff until quite recently, actually. Um, and it caught me off guard. I was like, really? He, <laughs> I didn't even realize it, but, uh, that, that was pretty cool to hear that, uh, the NASCAR, the King of NASCAR <laughs> drag racing.
2: Well, that's why I'm just fascinated by the history of it all. If you can't tell, um, it's awesome. Of course, the early Chrysler history and, you know, Walter Chrysler's history himself is just, uh, uh, fascinating. He was well on his way to, he was the youngest, ever manager of a of a of a locomotive uh, roundhouse really he uh, he grew up in ellis kansas and um he went into the railroad business and then he thought he uh, um he was making 100 grand a year like in the early 1900s in the railroad <laughs> as wow. a young man and he was doing pretty well um and then he uh I think it was uh, it was a 1908. He got, he bought a he took out a loan and bought a locomobile, which was an early early classic, which was a big big uh, expensive car. He took out a loan and bought a bought this locomobile. And the, the story is that he took it apart and put it back together like 20 times, and wrecked it two or three times. He didn't know how to drive the damn thing. <laughs> he was so fascinated with the engineering in the car business that he took a massive pay cut supposedly almost got a divorce um and went to uh went to work in the car business in 1911. and then pretty soon became he again he was running buick at one point and then he became the guy that the bank sent in because there were all these startup fledgling car companies and you know a lot of them didn't make it and and uh, a lot of them you know the, the, the typical management issues you know the, the, the and they may have had people brilliant people running them but they couldn't they couldn't save money do anything to save their lives so, so uh chrysler was the guy that was sent in to to look at something and see if it could be salvaged so he went into multiple companies willies was one of them uh in fact he made an early bid to buy willies in uh at, at that point in time it was in, in english town new jersey um in fact he because he the uh, the engineers uh either and breer started working for him at that time he stole them from scudebaker um and uh he made a bid to, to buy willies and lost um, oh really but, yeah but uh, uh then uh, of course successfully made the bid to buy, uh, Maxwell in, um, 1924.
0: Wow. What a crazy history. And here we are talking about electrification. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well,
2: nothing, what's old is new. You know, what's, what's new is, uh, you know, you, there's nothing new under the sun as that saying goes, right? Yeah. So electrification, uh, was big, was a big deal around, I think the, uh, uh, the pre-World War One cars that uh, uh, that was a big deal. They 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 had a lot of electrified cars back then, and um, it just never took. There was there was a period of time where everything was electric.
0: Um, Didn't the but, government come in on a lot of that stuff and like shut it down because of uh the oil industry and stuff?
2: I don't know. Um, hmm. You know, like it uh, sounds like some shenanigans with the Rockefellers and all those. <laughs> yeah. I know sure. but what the reason for was it but um uh, um, I do know that the you know the uh, the industry um you know went through an electric car phase already <laughs> it's gone through a couple of them, and here we are again
0: <laughs> you went to sema right yes, so you got to see the new the banshee, yes. So, tell me tell me about SEMA. I didn't get to go to SEMA this year, as you know. Um, I, I feel like this year would have been better to go than last year <laughs> after seeing uh, some of the Mopars that showed up. Yeah. Um, did, do you think that this year was better for Mopars than it was last year?
2: Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah. Just because last year was such a cluster, everybody's still yeah. – all the large corporations, of course, are run by lawyers, and so the, every lawyer is going to be concerned with liability, so some of them – some of them uh, uh, stayed out of the out of the limelight uh, because of you know liability from COVID still. Yeah. But this year it was back on, and it was it was neat to see that Mopar had, of course, they had they usually in the south hall there, mm-hmm. but then this year they had a big display in the uh, in central hall where Dodge. Oh. Was. So they had two big displays. They had the Mopar booth, um, back stuck in the tire. Place where all the tires are um but then they had you know the central hall where gm usually was. gm wasn't even there <laughs> or with uh. four which tells you a lot about where the industry is right now
0: yeah wow so what what was your opinion on what uh dodge brought
2: i'm not an electric car guy sure not my deal um i think it's um uh, I think it's fantastic that, you know, Dodge, uh, hopefully continues to, to still push the envelope on, on the, um, on that. And I, I hope that's successful. I just, I, I'm not, uh, it's just not my, you know, sure. I it, like the rest. I think it's great. It's fine. It's, I'm glad to see him out there. Um, the only the only negative thing I have to say about electrification is um, I think it's an awesome choice. But the moment you make that the only choice, we're going to have words.
0: A hundred percent. I really wouldn't have a problem with it if uh, they still offered everything with Hemis. And uh, once you start killing off all that stuff and saying, all right, electric's the only thing you can get. It's like, whoa. Well, and I, I think, think that's the way they're headed.
2: They they don't you know the government certainly obviously incentivizing them to do that, um, you know and I, I can't say that I agree with that but that's not a <laughs> topic for another day. Um, um, but I know uh, uh, we do know a couple of the designers on the uh, the head designers. Um, there's a guy named uh, Chris Piscitelli who's the head exterior designer for Dodge. Yeah. His dad is on the board for the Chrysler Club, and Chris grew up um, going on car tours. He's from New Jersey. Um, I know his dad well, and he grew up just like the rest of us, just nuts about Mopars. And he still is this day. In fact, he daily drives a 54 Plymouth to work on. Really? He's the head exterior designer.
0: <laughs> oh, that's cool.
2: So, And there's another guy named um, Dan uh, Zimmerman, who I just met recently. And he's another old school Mopar nut that just loves to sit around, talk talk cars, bench race, um, and, and wrench on old stuff. But nice. the amount of the, the talent, the, 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 the sketches they do and the, just the the, the um, you know, these guys are truly living their dream as a as a as a car kid. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: You know, I wanna design cars. So they get up, they go then they, they go to work every day and they run You know teams of designers designing cars and it's just you know hats off to those two guys and i'm fortunate that the the chrysler club has some pretty deep roots um into uh you know many of our board members are retired chrysler folks Um, our treasurer his his grandfather worked for maxwell back in the early 1900s
0: oh wow
1: and
2: so he's got um, um, in fact, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great, it's great, um, it's very humbling being around some of these guys because, uh, you know, he's got a 64, 300 K convertible four-speed car. And of course, you know, in Mopar world, you can never say never. And, you know, I've been, I've been at a couple of 300 groups events and they said, ah, oh, they never built that car. I said, oh yes, they did. <laughs> Was the head parts the head parts uh, manager for Chrysler? uh Is owns it? Was the original owner and ordered it brand new for himself. So, yeah, they did.
0: <laughs> uh The little rumors in the Mopar community about cars that were never built is kind of funny to me. It you, hear, funny. you hear it a lot.
2: You learn really quick to stay humble. You can never stay ever.
0: Yeah, it do, it does make me feel good to know that there are some hardcore Mopar guys that are still within the company
2: <laughs> it, me too. It, it really does um yeah. you, you wonder sometimes you know, oh my gosh how could they do this to the heritage and now i don't know tim caniscus but i uh, um i know some people that know him who's the tim is the head of dodge yeah uh srt um and supposedly he's just a true blue car guy so um you know it's good to know that those people are still there so i i think that we could probably be rest assured that if they could continue building a hemi car they would. doesn't sound like that's on the again you know just the industry's headed a different direction yeah and um you know they want to stay relevant so they 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 stick with it and well you know I'm, I'll, I'll ride my uh my my gas guzzlers to the yeah. end
0: Yeah, and I'm sure if you got any one of those guys, including Caniscus, in a private room where you knew it was off the record and you asked him, hey, you know, how do you feel about this really? I'm sure he would say, God, I I would love to keep the Hemis around. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, Yeah,
2: they also have to, you know, you gotta, you know, they, 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 uh, they gotta stay with the times. Uh, yeah. You know, they, um, uh, you know, and, and things change and that's okay, but, I don't have to change with them.
0: What did you think about the the Banshee? What, what are your impressions on it? Because when you look at pictures of a car and video of a car online, it's a lot different than actually seeing the thing in person.
2: Um, well, much like the Challenger, when I first bought it, the new Challenger, um, it's a big car. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the subtle uh the frat zog the lighted up frat zog i love yeah. some of the shuttle hits some of the some of the uh, um you can see some heritage um design in, in in a lot of that what they call the double diamond i think where the door and the and the um you've almost got two body lines on Chargers, which is one mm-hmm. of the, on the you know the second gen chargers um uh, I think they they tried to pay homage to that. Um, the hood, I wasn't sure what to think of the hood, the <laughs> hood spoiler thing at first. But you know, I I I think it's a a good looking car. Um, I think it comes close to the to second gen Charger. Yeah. Um, I think it's phenomenal what they've done with the lighting on them. You know, like the new you know the, all the new Challengers. The LED is just badass.
0: Yeah, I do like the LEDs um
2: although i must say there's nothing more badass than an original 68 charger <laughs> yeah. um but uh um i i don't know uh it's not it's not something i'm ever going to get i don't think you never sure. know um so i don't my opinion of it is is not um i i hope they do well i hope it does sure. well for chrysler's sake for yeah uh, not Chrysler, for Dodge's sake. Chrysler, unfortunately, <clears throat> replicated to a, a mate at this point. Um, yeah. So, speaking of Chrysler, did you know that Chrysler was actually the number two automaker from 1939 until about 1953?
0: Second to Ford, I imagine, right?
2: No, second to GM.
0: Be- R- oh, yeah. Ford. Yeah, you're, you'd be right, yeah.
2: Bigger than Ford. Chrysler wow. was actually bigger than Ford from 39 to 53.
0: Wow. I didn't know that.
2: Yes, they were. They were the number 2 automakers.
0: Wow. That's cool.
1: Yeah.
2: So, of course, you had, you know, Chrysler Dodge DeSoto Imperial. Uh Fargo. Fargo, of course, is the Canadian Dodge. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as far as the, the the future of 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 the make uh I don't know. We'll see what we'll see what happens when the Banshee comes out. Apparently, the the real charger and this one are slightly different. Oh, really? This is a concept car. Remember, this is not the real one. Okay. But from what I understand, the real run is, is pretty damn close.
0: Okay. It scare it scares me when because <laughs> I I I've been pretty critical about the car in general. Um. One thing that I can't get over, and I wish I was there to see it in person, is the roof line towards the back, especially since it it looks like a hatchback, it kind of reminded me of the 66-67 towards the back of the car, like the roof line. Um, I really wish I could have gotten a chance to see it in person. That way I could make a better... um, assessment of what i think but uh i mean they could have done a lot worse but i think obviously you know there's always room for improvement i think they could have done better and it scares me to think that that's just the concept because the concepts are always a little bit wilder in my opinion so i'm like gosh i wonder what they're going to mute on that thing <laughs> um but i guess we'll see
2: what they what i did like that they did with this the the one at sema versus the one that they originally debuted was they put drag radios on all four tires <laughs> yeah It really looked pretty cool.
0: Did you get to hear it?
2: Uh, no, I did not hear the electronic whatever it was.
0: Yeah. Well, Um,
2: take that back. Um, um, I I see that Chris. I don't know if I heard the car or I heard a uh a a recording of it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so yeah, they they started it up and had it playing in the loudspeakers. But I, you know, I don't. But you know, (laughs) are you really hearing the car, or you just?
0: Yeah, that's uh that's probably the most controversial thing about the car aside from the fact that it's electric is the way it sounds. Um, well,
2: there's probably more to come out on that because from what I understand, it's not it's not completely a recording. It's supposedly they've figured out a way to modify the sound, the electric sound, through a few filters. And so yes, I don't think that's the real sound of the electric motors, but I think they filtered it somehow and and made it sound like that. So it's a bit of a hybrid from what I understand.
0: Yeah, from what I understood uh after the first unveiling of it 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 was my understanding that it was the natural sound amplified. But
2: okay, yeah, and with 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 some filters to make it sound a little beefier.
0: Yeah, they wanted it to sound like a cat, (laughs) Uh, which I thought was funny because I'm like, man, Um, and I know that's that's going to be a a subject of contention, (laughs) Um, making the electric car sound. But I mean, they're doing what they can with what they got, I guess. Um, I would like to to be honest, I'd like to drive one and just see how because I haven't driven a Tesla. I haven't driven anything electric. I'm curious, Um, but it's nothing beats the sound of uh, an American V8, in my opinion. (laughs)
2: No, but it, it's going to be a different driving experience. I don't know that I, because um, I am familiar with the torque of electric motors. Yeah, that's that's instant and awesome. Yeah, but the 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 corresponding sound and the I don't know. That's what I like about the original <laughs> cars. As much as I love the new cars too, the original ones are you know you just the, the sound and the uh, the shaking the you know. It's just nothing uh, uh nothing like the originals.
0: No, um, absolutely not. So oh.
2: and I don't think they wanna to try to make something like the originals something a little better. Yeah. Um, but you know that we'll we'll see what happens. Um if if the world does indeed go go all electric, you know, uh they're gonna be at the forefront. If it doesn't, well giant face plant. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, we're gonna see. <laughs> I I wish him the best, but uh, I you know if you if you take away the Hemi out of uh, production vehicles, I just hope to God that they don't stop the production of the crate Hemis because <laughs> uh, I I still am a fan of resto mods and swapping uh, modern tech into old old cars because I really do think with this push for electrification, I just you know, the pessimist in me sees them taxing guys like us to drive our old gas-guzzling carbureted cars. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: Uh, well, so, you know, you know, I I, I live in a state that's saying they want to do that, and your state isn't far behind mine.
0: Oh no, not at all. <laughs> it's right there.
2: So, um, uh, yeah, no, I can see that happening, but, um, but then again, um, you know, I also I also do some. Uh, advocacy work at the at the state house when it comes to old car legislation which is why I, i'm involved with sema to some degree cool uh, because uh it, it, it um you know they don't most of lawmakers certainly in california don't realize that hey um, uh you know yes we have good weather but that also means that every weekend somewhere in california there are multiple car shows and mm-hmm. those car shows, over the course of a year, raised millions of dollars for charitable projects. Yeah. And so, um, and it's, it's so much part of the culture, uh, that I don't think we have to remind them occasionally that it's not something they want to screw around with. Um, so I don't, I don't think that, um, um, I don't think they'll try to ban, um, uh, but I, I would not put it past them to try to regulate further old cars due to the um, uh, uh, supposed emissions.
0: Yeah, that's uh, you know they attack they attack the the emissions and then lately it seems like I've seen them attacking the sound <laughs> of cars. Um,
2: yeah, that's that's a big well. That's um, in fact, SEMA has done a great job uh, legislatively getting. Some of these sound ordinances overturned in in various parts of the. um, uh, So it's you know, um, uh, they they've been moderately successful getting some of these sound ordinances overturned, but yeah, that stuff is, you know, uh, is we got to stay alert. But that's why again it's uh, um, and and you know, unfortunately, they're the only ones left to do it. Sema is the only ones that's really kind of taking the bull by the horns and uh, and and uh, uh, putting in the resources to make sure that that they monitor this stuff at every state and make. To be honest, they do a fantastic job.
0: Yeah, yeah. thankfully they're around because I've been hearing some crazy stories about factory cars, not even muscle cars. You're talking about Japanese, uh, like I I believe it was a Hyundai that has some sort of sport mode. And the guy got his car impounded because it was over the legal decibel limit. And uh, they wouldn't give him his car. It was just a giant hoopla. And it was a factory car. It wasn't even modified. Well, one of
2: the things that SEMA has done is just, I think last year, the year before that, they opened up a studio or a, a garage in Detroit so they can test so they're essentially a third party yes a third party interested in an aftermarket. but they can they can run their own tests on these vehicles so when you've got the regulators come out uh like california carb uh california air resources board comes out and says hey we're we're going to limit this car or we're going to uh, uh, regulate it because um it does this this and this if SEMA has the facilities to test that separately, they can go back to them um, and, and, and oppose that. So it's a big deal that SEMA is able to put a, a laboratory essentially in Detroit so they can test uh, uh, for their own purposes uh, separately in Detroit. Wow. So um, again, I can't say enough. And, and if, if you ask any SEMA executive, they'll say their biggest concern and their biggest, uh, worry moving towards the future is the legislative, uh, uh, framework on the regulatory framework, um, for, you know, aftermarket, uh, parts and manufacturers, which, which affects us all, you know, they all, um, you know, they're all affected. So, um, but anyway, on on our uh, um, on our Chryslers, you asked what cars I have.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and like every other, you know, Mopar nut, I started out just a fanatical for muscle cars. <laughs> you know, the seventy one Cuda um, was one of my dream cars. The, um, I had a buddy in Oregon. I lived in Oregon for a short time. I was in the military for a lot of years. Um, um, then i lived in oregon for a while and i had a buddy with the 68 charger jeff Weiford's his name he still got the car he had a hemi in it it was candy apple red and it was lowered and he had the the uh, exhaust pointing at the ground and this was in the late 90s and i'll tell you what there wasn't uh you, know, you could cruise that car anywhere and it was just intimidating <laughs> it was badass and so that uh that really cemented that image in my mind. Um, uh, but the only muscle cars, uh, and then of course I got interested in the history and all the other cars. And yeah, the uh, some of the other cars may not be as fast and and as noisy, but they all bring something different and a different driving experience, and just as rewarding yeah. uh, to the table. Um, so, uh, muscle car I have now is a '69 Roadrunner convertible. Uh, it is uh, supposedly the only convertible ever painted Petty Blue by Chrysler. Uh, again, again, known to exist. Never say never. Yeah. There's rumors of others, and hopefully they're out there. But, um, uh, and I just got noticed that that car will be at McCacken next year. Obviously, oh, really? It's a little late this year, but next year.
0: Oh, that's super cool. That makes me want to go next year. Gotta <laughs> do it. Yeah.
2: And then uh, you know I've had a bunch of bunch of different muscle cars, Chargers, Challengers, um, but my uh, Roadrunner Convertible is what I have um, now. Then I have um, a few 300 letter cars. Um, I have a 300 uh, Sport Convertible um, with a 413 in it that we just—that's uh, the one I road trip with my family a lot. <laughs> Great road car. Um uh and of course the sixty to sixty two Chryslers all had that bubble dash. Yeah. Have you seen it? The bubble dash with the green the, the light the uh the numbers that glow.
0: I finally saw one in person. Um my friend Gary Herger has one. And yeah. uh, I saw it at a local car show earlier in the summer and I was like, That is the coolest.
2: <laughs> the one in American lighting, it's got like thirty thousand volts, no amperage, but a bunch of volts that run through the it's uh, the paint lights up on the, on the gauges. And so the dash on the, on the, uh, on the 60 to 62 pricers, has got a big bubble dome over it. It's called the Astrodome. Mm-hmm. And that with the green glowing numbers is just really, really cool looking. Um, uh, then I have a, I have a 61 300 G. Um, I have two 300 H's, um, project cars. I have a 65 300 L that's uh, a driver, um, and then I have my '39 um, Chrysler Royal Windsor Hayes Coupe um, uh, that I came home fresh off the assembly line.
1: <laughs>
2: now, unfortunately, I have it because I wish my dad still had it. Sure. Um, and then I have a 1927 Model 72 Boat Tail Speedster wow which is uh, a recent uh acquisition but it's it's uh it's pretty neat um in um in the early years chrysler offered a high compression head called it the red head instead of the uh, 5.2 to 1 compression it's got six to one compression <laughs> so that's funny but it's a model 72 so it would do 72 miles an hour uh I have not got it operable totally yet, but I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah. It's a different it's going to be a different experience, but um um so I've had you know all I went through a phase where I liked the turbo Mopars for a while. Yeah. Uh the Shelby the Shelby cars, I went uh, I I had three or four of the those damn Maserati TCs. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was part one of my conversation with Bill. Part two is next on episode number 155. Thank you for listening. No Mopar left behind. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about the show, you know where to go, TalkingMopars.com. And you can reach me by emailing chris at TalkingMopars.com or by leaving me a voicemail on my voicemail box at 209... 28 Mopar, and you just might get to hear yourself on the show. So keep sharing those Mopar stories with me and anything else that is on your Mopar addicted mind. Special thanks to my friends at DIYHemi.com. For those of you that don't know, Blake has rebranded DIY Hemi, so although the website is still DIYHemi.com, DIY Hemi is now Sublime Technologies. So if you've been considering swapping a modern Gen 3 Hemi into your classic Mopar, then reach out to Sublime Technologies, get a hold of Blake, and tell them that I sent you. Blake has supported me from the beginning of this show, and I also support him in his mission to hemiswap the world. Also, don't forget how important it is to keep your Mopar protected from the elements. If you need protection, don't wait. Head on over to TalkingMopars.com, click on the Affiliates tab, and go get your Mopar covered today. Before we shut this podcast episode down, if you want some Talking Mopars merchandise like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more, check out the merch shop on TalkingMopars.com. I am working on some new merch. I said that on the last show, and I am going to let you guys know when that new gear is available. One final thing, if you'd like exclusive bonus episodes of the podcast as well as exclusive bonus videos, they are available only to my Facebook subscribers. Become a Facebook supporter today and get immediate access to those benefits as well as as a monthly supporter giveaway. You can do all that by going to Talking Mopars Podcast on Facebook and clicking the subscribe button. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.